and welcome to Literacy Matters. I'm your host, Cheryl Lundy-Swift. Today, I'm here with Pam Kutrakis, instructional coach, consultant, and author of Mentor Texts That Multitask. Pam, welcome to the show. Cheryl, thank you so much for having me. I have been looking forward to this all week, and I'm thrilled to be able to spend some time with you and talk about some of my favorite um, topics, including books and read aloud today. Awesome. Well, it is a pleasure. I've also been looking forward to this conversation, and I know our listeners are going to be in for a treat. Um, So Pam, please tell us all about yourself and your literacy journey. Well, I have been teaching for over 20 years. I have worked in a variety of different districts and communities, and I've been really lucky that I have had many different roles. I often share that I am quite boring in my personal life, and I do my risk-taking in my professional life. Um, So I have worked pre-K through grade eight as a classroom teacher, as an interventionist, as a literacy coach, as an instructional coach, um, as a curriculum person, and as a consultant. And as you mentioned, I have been an author as well. I've had the chance to write a few different professional texts. I think it all comes to my love of learning and literacy and books that my mom taught me. She was also a teacher and my stepmom taught me. I was surrounded in beautiful children's literature and just taught to value and appreciate and lean on books my whole life. Um, So to be able to bring that into the classroom and share some of that with students and colleagues near and far has been a really incredible experience for me. Well, one of the things that we had an opportunity to talk to before we went on air is that you had a practice where you always read aloud to students, even poems like as you're taking attendance and things of that sort. Um, What is a read aloud exactly? Yeah. So, you know, when we're thinking about read alouds, I think about different types of reading experiences that we can have with kids and children in our lives and big kids, too, because my kids are both in high school and we still read together sometimes as well. It doesn't end and no child ages out of read aloud. Um, Sometimes we think of read aloud as that joyful, low stakes community building experience that's not necessarily pre-planned, not necessarily instructional in nature. So that kind of read aloud often happens at all different points in the day. It can happen in the morning. It could happen during snack time. Sometimes it's our after lunch or recess, settle down time or at the end of the day as we're packing up. And yes, sometimes during instructional times too, but for that type of read aloud, the main purpose is really community, joy, and a shared experience. Um, The teacher hasn't necessarily planned an instructional focus, but just being in that community with one another is instructional in nature. For me, that kind of read aloud reminds me of the reading that I do do and that I have done at home with children um, in my life in all different capacities. That kind of just joyful sit on my lap kind of reading But in a classroom, we're just kind of near each other and we're sharing in that reading experience all together. And then there's also, yeah, sorry, our interactive read aloud experience. And that really is pre-planned and is instructional and focused. Um, And with the interactive read aloud, it's a really great experience where we can do everything that the read aloud does and more. So essentially with the interactive read aloud, there, it's our opportunity to really work on comprehension skills with students and conversational skills. Mm-hmm. Um, we are reading aloud a text to students, and we can vary it. I can talk more about that. Most commonly, a picture book or any other type of short text. And we're stopping at different pre-planned points to model the thinking that's happening in our head 
and every so often to invite students to take a low stakes dip in and try some of that for themselves. Because we are reading aloud the text, students are freed up from the decoding, and that's why the focus is comprehension in nature. So this isn't necessarily our time to do print work or decoding work, even though students are getting an accurate, fluent model of reading by listening to us. We really increase accessibility because especially for pre-readers and early readers, we can work on those comprehension skills with rich stories and amazing informational texts that fascinate them that they wouldn't necessarily be able to access independently on their own. Um, so the interactive read aloud kind of bring our world together. It's often how we can start a unit by showing the kids the kind of work that we're gonna do as readers that we're about to teach them to eventually be trying in their book. So it's a vision component. It's a very highly scaffolded practice. So meaning the teacher is really supporting and sort of puppeteering a lot of the experience. But for the students, it feels easy breezy and it feels fun. And it's a time for them to watch the teacher and observe the teacher and learn, and then just have some opportunities to try some things out with their classmates. Um, so really that's how I distinguish between, for me, the difference between a read aloud and an interactive read aloud, I think both deserve a place in classrooms. Mm -hmm. um, and for me, like you said, I feel both are essential in classrooms, um, but just a little bit different in the focus. That's awesome. What a really great um, explanation of what the what both of them are. Thank you for that. Now, you mentioned accessibility, and I, that's a question I have for you. How do you encourage all learners, I'm thinking of multilingual learners, I'm thinking of students that might be struggling in your class. How do you encourage all of those learners to actively participate in a read aloud experience? I think one of the first things that it comes down to is our text choice. And we can get so much more into this, but we really wanna choose text that kids are gonna find interesting and that kids are gonna find relevant. Um, so of course, sometimes I might occasionally be sharing classics or favorite from my childhood. I want texts that feel new and exciting for students today and have settings and characters and situations and topics that they can relate to or that they're curious about or they're interested in. So one of the precursors to really getting kids involved is being very careful with your selection of text. I also think about, as you were talking about specifically with students who that literate conversation may be a challenge for them for a wide number of reasons. Um, I want to think about how I can support their experiences in doing those low stake dip-ins dip so that the experience really is interactive. Um, whereas I never want students to have to feel robotic, sometimes having some broad ideas for like some frames or some prompts to help students kind of get that language started in their mouth can be helpful. Yeah. One of the things that um, I've learned from colleagues and from some of my mentors is that it doesn't have to sound one formal way and kids don't have to use these prompts all the time. We want it to sound more natural and like they're speaking. And one of the other things I've learned, especially when we have students in our classes that speak more than one language, we might wanna co-create stems with the students, like listen in, eavesdrop on what they're saying, post that, and when and if possible, post in more than one language so that the students have the opportunity to really um, celebrate and use their full linguistic repertoire and be able to participate in a way that feels really, they, where they feel really confident and really comfortable entering that conversation. Um, something else we can just think about when it comes to that increased accessibility are the types of texts, again, that we use. So wordless texts are kind of putting us all on the same 
even playing fields, graphically formatted texts and picture books where we have the, the images in addition to the words can also be supportive for the students that we're working with. Um, I'm a big fan of sometimes short videos with close captioning on as well. Um, so that the students can watch, listen, and see those words and have those different modalities to help them be really um, welcomed actively into the read aloud experience. And then in addition to that, when I am pausing and asking the students to do a little bit of thinking or trying on their own, varying that. So it might be the traditional turn and talk with a partner. Um, it doesn't have to be performance, right, for the whole class. It's just one or two people that you're talking with. And again, that turn and talk could be in any language that the student feels comfortable in. They can refer to those frames if they're up or not, um, but we might try some other things. So sometimes I just do a pause and process or a pause and ponder and just give everybody some processing time to think in a way that feels most comfortable for them. At times we do a stop and sketch because we don't have to use the words and our sketch could get out those ideas too. We might also do a stop and act and use our body and be a little bit more kinesthetic and think about our reaction to a fact that we just heard or think about how do you think the character is feeling right now? Show that with your face, right? Um, so we can do a lot of the same types of literacy skills through different modalities. Um, and that's another way that we can really encourage active participation in that read aloud experience happening in our classrooms. I love, you know, all of those different moods of, of learning, right? Really kind of making sure that we're meeting the needs of all students, which is great. You mentioned um, really thinking about maybe how a character might feel, right? So to act it out, which is a really great way to do that. How else could we incorporate uh, or integrate other positive habits and social emotional learning into our read aloud experience? Well, you know, especially right now, I always think about the fact that teachers' days are so jam-packed. And if we think about habit building or any other type of social comprehension work or anything as being extra or an add-on, it might not find its way into our day as much as we might like it. So um, Read Aloud offers us, again, this contextualized, authentic opportunity to do that work with students on a regular basis. So where I said before, Traditionally, an interactive read aloud might be comprehension and conversation based. Those are connected to that heart work too and that habit building work, but we can also prioritize making sure that we have some sort of heart work um, happening at the same time during our interactive read aloud because it's really not extra. So I think about, we can think about our identities and what makes us special and unique and what we're learning about the people or the characters in these stories and how they're similar to and different from us. And, you know, what we're curious about while we're reading those texts, we can think about topics that are new to us. Um, and we can think about how that connects to our background knowledge and our own experiences sure. and things that we've um, had happen to us in our school communities and our home communities and begin to bring that conversation in as well. We really have these opportunities to build community, to get students talking to one another, to learn how to share ideas. Um, that's part of the conversation work that we're doing, actively listen to one another, which is sometimes harder than sharing, right? But to be able yeah. to hear what somebody's saying, and especially at different times, to be able to listen to different opinions and engage in that respectful, yet spirited sometimes conversation and know that it's okay to have a different perspective or a different view on some of what's happening. Um, so I think about, you know, even in fiction books, we might have questions that we're just pondering, like, would you be friends with this character? 
Why or why not? Right? What would you do if you were facing the problem? Sure. Would you act the same way or would you act differently? Um, what would we, at the end of the book, what might we learn or do differently now that we've read this book? Like, how did this book not just impact us as readers, but also impact us as, as people? What might we start, stop, or continue doing and why? So there's natural connections when we're reading aloud that don't feel like extra. And on the informational side, because that's also really important for interactive read aloud, same idea, like what in this book that we're learning feels really important to us here in this classroom? So we have that kind of micro version about the people here and how it's impacting them. And also, what information are we learning that feels like it might be important for our community or like the world as a whole? So we can zoom in and zoom out for different kids at different times and in different experiences. And then if we're thinking about that action piece, sometimes we might ask at the end of the book, like, now that we have this information, what are we going to do with it? Like, what again, what are we going to start, stop, or continue because of this experience we were just able to have together when we shared this text? Um, and I feel like these are natural connections. It's not extra. We don't need to plan all these special things. We don't need to go to the coffee machine and have anything ready. It's just engaging in those conversations with kids um, in a way that feels authentic and natural. Yes. And I love that you included. We oftentimes think that that can only be done with fiction, but we know we can do them with informational text as well. I love your examples. Thank you for mentioning that. No, no problem. So when you think about these texts, whether they're fiction or nonfiction, how do you choose text to actually share with students? So in my last book, Mentor Text at Multitask, I'll just put in a quick thing. I really consider these three domains and I have for myself like these inquiries and reflective questions Sure. That helped me to choose text. And the three domains for me are identity, community, and curriculum. Because I want to merge together the people that are in the room with the curriculum that my district has adopted that's probably coming from my state standards and put those two things together, mm -hmm. right? So that way, I am absolutely making sure that I'm aligning instruction to what needs to be done. But I'm also considering the people that are currently in the room with me. So I do think that it's super important that when we are beginning to choose text, we are considering um, who the people are in the room and what they might be interested in and what feels relevant for them. Um, I also think about other things that we can do, like the resources. Again, I will go to the school librarian, I'll go to the local librarian, and I'll ask for what are the new hot titles that can't stay on the shelf? Who are the new favorite authors that kids are like desperate to get their hands on? because that's going to help me a lot. I am lucky that I have a wonderful local bookstore, um, independent bookstore here that has cutting edge titles. And I consider myself very well read when it comes to children's literature. And every time I go in there, there's brand new books that I've never seen. I've been heard of before. That's another resource for everybody if you're finding. So we think about our literacy and our book people, right? So our librarians, we think about our bookstore um, proprietors that could help us out. You know, there's lots of websites as teachers that we can go to to find the newest, greatest um, texts that are coming out. There's educators on Instagram, if that's kind of your jam and you prefer that instead that you can follow, that can give really great suggestions. Um, but I try to think about the kids in the room. And like I said, identity, community, and curriculum and merging those worlds. And also think about some variety over time. Mm. So um, I don't want to read the same type of text all year long. We're constantly, I want to vary it. So that's another way that we can invite students in because they might not all have the same interests, right? Sure. So we already talked about fiction and informational texts, but we might think about 
not only picture books, but adding in poetry or some free verse or some lyrical text. We might consider using videos, as I mentioned before. We might even think about songs and chants in the younger grades and doing a read aloud almost of like some of those songs and chants. There's so many different ideas that we can consider to add variety for the students and to help them feel interested in the kinds of um, texts that we're sharing with the school community. I, I loved all of that. You know, it's, and I, I love your, your three kind of your mantra, if you will. Um, and is that in your book, actually, the, the three? It things? is, it is. Um, yeah. So, I mean, even some of those questions like identity. So I sometimes ask, will ask myself, like, whose voices and experiences does this text reflect, honor, and celebrate? Yeah. Um, and how will this choice enhance the set of texts that I've already shared? So how is this adding to the text that we've already enjoyed together as a community? Um, I think about like, for community, how is this text aligned to the learning goals of the kids that are currently in the room? Because we know sometimes as educators, they might span more than our grade level, right? So how is this going to help me support the individual goals of like the community as a whole, the kids that are currently in the room this year? And then of course, how does this text align with my curriculum, with my unit goals, with my state standards, et cetera, the things that we're always considering um, as teachers as well. I love that essentially what you're doing is you're getting teachers to be inquiry based. And so I know that there's uh, a way, obviously, to get our students inquiry thinking. Right. So how can we um, infuse kind of inquiry into um, these kinds of literacy practices like the read alouds that you were mentioning? Yeah. So I think that this is really important and fun work to do. We know that interest uh, inquiry is going to pique students interest. It's going to get them a little bit more jazzed up and excited about what's happening. And although interactive read aloud is often very teacher scaffolded, there is room for inquiry and that type of joy in our read aloud experiences as well. Um, and that helps the kids to really feel like they're co-creators of the learning that's happening during read aloud instead of just recipients of what we're trying to have them get. So, for example, um, I might pause when I'm reading if I was focused on something, even though it's not a print thing and we're not decoding. I could still get in some word work type of inquiry with students be like, huh, why did the author choose that word? That's really standing out to me. So essentially, I'm reading with my writer's eyes. I'm noticing some of that craft. And I'm thinking about that word choice from the author. And that's a way to bring in some of that. And we can wonder about that together, knowing that we might have different ideas or perspectives. I might think like, well, then what other word could they have chosen? You know, like what other words would also fit here? What words wouldn't fit here? Um, Sometimes I've said something like, oh my goodness, wow, that part just made me feel, I have chills. Let me go back and just reread that part. What were the words that the author used that made us have such a strong reaction in that part, right? Or, um, oh my goodness, I could see this so clearly in my mind. How did the author do that? What words did the author use to help us to create that movie in our minds? Um, so that is way, those are a few ways that we can focus our inquiry on words. And some of that word work, even though we're not doing some of that decoding and that print work that we would say for another time. We might also do more of like a genre or a structure type of inquiry work. And just, you know, we could even say something, I suppose, huh, what genre do we think this book is? Is it fiction or is it informational? And how do we know this? When we're starting through is we're doing like a sneak peek sometimes before we start reading a book. What do I see on this page? that I know makes this different from a fiction book. Like what kind of things are we noticing as we're reading that are helping us to figure this out? Um, or if we're reading some sort of graphically formatted text like we talked about, we might just say like, 
what makes this text different? And am I supposed to do anything different as I'm reading? Like, how do I go about reading this text? And is it the same or is different? You know, so we can also think about bringing inquiry into the structure and that genre type of work as well. And those are just a couple of ways, but it's just these open-ended posings and these wonderings that we might ask the class and get them participating and thinking about it. Sure. But essentially using their background knowledge, using their experience as readers, and then just trying to get them to extend it and seeing what they have to share with us. I love your modeling, right? I can see that happening in the classroom and your pause and ponder. um, (laughs) It really will, will stick with me for sure. So I'd love to know, like, what other types of lessons and learnings can really be sparked from a really good read aloud? So I'm going to tell you, this is one of my favorite parts of both read alouds and interactive read alouds is once we have read that text to the class, we have infinite possibilities that have now opened up to us. The students know that story. So I can always refer to a small piece of that text in a whole class, a small group lesson. And now my lesson is going to be efficient because I'm not trying to read a text and teach something at the same time. I already read the book. And now I could be like, remember when we read this book? Do you remember this part of the story? Well, today I wanted to talk about like the kind of thinking that I was doing. And then I wanted to show you how you can try that in the books that you're reading. So we can always revisit that text then um, in whole class and small group instruction, but just pull out a tiny little piece or nibble of that text. Um, For me, I'm a teacher who likes to have one-on-one conversations with students sometimes too. And for a lot of us as educators, that can feel a little bit... um, nerve-wracking because it's not planned, right? We never know exactly what's going to happen when we're having a one-on-one conversation with a student. But if I have that text in my hand, I already know that I have something that I can model. I know the story. The kids know the story. And I'm pretty familiar with it. So I think that I'm going to still be able to not just do that telling, but also do that showing and telling teaching, even in a more one-on-one spontaneous teaching moment with students. So as far as like my instruction goes, I could definitely use it in a variety of whole class, small group, and even those one-on-one conversations. One of my favorite things to do um, is really revisit a part of that text for an entire cycle of shared reading. And I'm bringing that up specifically with you because I was lucky enough to write a blog for Learning Without Tears last summer where um, I talked a lot about how we can get different types of literacy skills into a cycle of shared reading. And whereas before I said we use our listening comprehension for interactive read aloud, if we now take a two-page spread from that book, or if it was an article, take a section of the article, put it up on that doc cam, now the kids have their eyes on it. We can do concepts of print. We can do phonemic and phonologic awareness work. We could do phonics and spelling work. We could do vocabulary work. We can even do like grammar and other language standard type of work as well. So you have, in addition to comprehension work, Etc. But now we have our eyes on the text and it opens up a whole new ballgame of how we can use a piece of that text to help us to integrate the literacy block and help kids see, oh, that stuff we talk about in phonics, I'm supposed to use that when I'm reading. So here's how I do that. Or that stuff that we learned about when it comes to grammar, that's not just when I'm writing, that can help me as I'm reading too. So that's how we begin to support and model that transfer for kids and give them that authentic place. So we can provide that explicit systematic instruction and be like relentless about making sure we're using that and showing that transfer to the authentic text that we talked about. 
Um, we have so many different, you know, great, amazing things. And that is actually what the book's about a lot is using that one text for a variety of purposes mm-hmm. to really help us to like strategically integrate the literacy block. So we find a little bit more awe in our days that kids sure. are better able to make connections between what we're learning. But really, that's what we want to remember is when you choose a text and you can engage in either an instructional or just a joyful reading experience. It's not done. You don't have to put that text away forevermore. Come back to that text and you can use it for a variety of purposes at a variety of times, right? Even we read it in reading and then we can use it as a mentor text as we write and get inspiration and try strategies. The opportunities are infinite of how we can revisit a text and support across the day learning with students. I love that. I do have one final question. Sure. You know, it sometimes uh, came from teachers who were afraid to to read text more than once. What do you do when a kid says, we read this already? And I think that that's probably one of the most important questions to say. And I do want to, I always say there is that Goldilocks type of guideline. So it's that balance between revisiting a text and um, not killing a text that we all love. So When we read aloud, we're reading it from start to finish. When we talked about that cycle of shared reading, those are five minutes with one part of that text, right? Each time with a different lens. Even when we think about carrying it around in those one-to-one conversations, all the students are not part of that one-to-one conversation, right? So they might have like an additional three minutes with that text, not like another 20 minutes with that text. Sure. But my general, like for me, guideline is often, I can use about three to four texts for about five to six weeks of instruction. So I often think to myself, three, four, five, six. Three to four texts for about five to six weeks of instruction. So even within a unit or within a certain amount of time, there's some variety that's happening, right? We're not constantly going back to that same text. Sure. Um, But then across the year, if I'm doing three to four new texts about every six weeks or so, they're getting some nice variety across the school year as well. So I don't need a separate text for every single thing that I teach, but I do want to periodically switch out the text that I'm using so that we do have those opportunities to share a wide variety of types of texts with students across the time that we're lucky enough to spend with them that school year. Of course. Well, Pam, you have really given us a lot of real strategies that we can implement right away. So thank you so much for your expertise and your time. Ditto. And this has been a pleasure. I can't thank you enough for having me. And it has been wonderful to engage in conversation about read alouds with you, which I found uh, always joyful, but even more special to be able to talk to you about it today. So thank you so much. Thanks, Pam. Have a great one. You too. 